Um, so we are in week five of our series called Nothing Changes If Nothing Changes. We've been going through it now for a month. If you haven't been here for some reason for a month or if you haven't tuned in online for about a month, then uh, what we're doing is we're taking the 12 steps of recovery and we're looking at the spiritual nature and the spiritual side of them. I did have a, an interesting experience this past week. I had a guy <laughs> tell me, he said, you know, I really like what you guys did with Mitchell and putting him on, on the prayer wall and, and that looks really, really cool and, and like, uh, I think that's really great. Maybe you should consider doing that, Seth. And I thought, dude, we've been doing that for four weeks. That's like... That's a legit month, and what you just told me was you haven't watched anything we've done for a month, right? So be careful what you say to the preacher, because it could come back to haunt you. Um, so five, week five, step five. Uh, our simple statement for week five is this, is step five is to admit wrongdoing, okay? Step five is to admit wrongdoing. Now, let's take a look at what we've gone through so far, and then we'll look at the, like, expanded definition of this step five. Step one, admit powerlessness. Step two, believe in a higher power that has the ability to restore. Step three, to surrender my will and my life to, to God. Step four, uh, sorry, that was step three. Step four, to conduct a moral inventory, which Mitchell talks about this, last week. And then this week, step five, which is to admit wrongdoing. Now, here's how uh, AA and Celebrate Recovery both state this step. Uh, in more detail. Step five, according to AA, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step five, according to Celebrate Recovery, uh, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Therefore, they use this scripture, James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, this, my friends, my digital friends in the digital world. This is where it gets tough. This is where it gets real. This is where it gets deep quick because all the other stuff is fine and we get it and we, okay, we're trying to think through it. And, but this is where like the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets real. Uh, you know what this is ultimately, right? This admitting you're wrong sort of thing. This is, this, this is like confession. This is... Uh, Let's stop beating around the bush and own our junk. This, this is why this is so very hard because even though we've talked about being powerless and believing in a higher power and believing that the higher power can affect us and believing that, you know, that we will surrender, to say I'm wrong, to say I'm sorry, to say, yeah, that was me, is very difficult because this little thing called the ego, and the ego is very hard to handle. So, Step four, let's go back just a little bit and, and recap before we get to step four. So step four that Mitchell talked about is searching for, uh, doing the searching and fearless moral inventory of the self. This is taking a good hard look in the mirror and saying, here's what I see. The reason I act or respond the way I do to this particular thing isn't really because of this thing itself. It's because of something else, something else behind all this. It's my pride. It's this deep-seated fear. It's this sense of uncertainty. It's insecurity within myself. Most of how we experience life has little to do with what is directly in front of us. Most of how we experience life has to do with the thing that's behind how we actually respond. Even if you're looking at like this situation now with the COVID stuff, um, obviously there's fear that, that we will actually contract the actual virus and that will happen. But there's a whole lot of other things surrounding contracting the virus that have become issues, things that we've had to deal with. There's so much uncertainty. 
So much of the panic that we've experienced has to do with other stuff. Well, we're shutting the economy down, which means I really won't have work, which means I'm not going to really have money, which means I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to take care of the family, which means I can't buy the things we need to support the family. So yeah, there's fear of the virus, but there's a bigger fear surrounding the virus. There's, there's other things like this panic, uh, this panic in, this, in the middle of this epidemic like caused this mindset of scarcity. And so people started doing this thing when they started buying up toilet paper. And people got panicked because then everybody was buying toilet paper. And then there was no toilet paper. And then I just ran out, but I had a supply, but now it's gone. And now what do I do? And how do I? Then we started buying like water spraying devices that we attach to our toilets. That sort of fun stuff. So this mindset of scarcity sets in. And when the mindset of scarcity sets in, um, that, that like... That's the fear. It's not as much now about that actual virus as it is the scarcity about these things. And we've never experienced scarcity or shortage like in our lifetime really in this country. For, and this list just goes on and on and on. So this whole conducting a moral inventory thing is about you being able to peel back the layers of the self, being able to peel back the layers of the surface and get to the thing behind the thing behind the thing to get to what is actually causing the panic in the middle of the pandemic, to get to the, the issue that's causing the thing that you're actually trying to address. You see, so once you get into the crooks and the, and the crevices and the nooks and the crannies of, of your life and you've identified any and all of your faults, any of all your flaws, any of uh, all of your metaphorical zits and pimples of who you are as an individual, that's step four. After you do all that, which can be really, really difficult, you get to the next step, which is step five, which is to acknowledge and admit that those are things in your life. To acknowledge and admit the wrongdoing. To admit to God, to myself, and to others the exact nature of these wrongdoings. Right? Like, really? Like, I've just made this mess. I've just acknowledged the mess that I have, and now you actually want me to do something about the mess I've created. Yeah. Th this, this is difficult. This is why it's so difficult. Because it's not just making the mess. You have to acknowledge and do something with it and, and own the mess that you've created. I mean, you know what this is like, right? This is, this is like the basis of spring cleaning. Anytime you want to clean, you want to clean your house, you want to clean your garage on, on like a deep spring cleaning level, not just like a tidying up, like a deep level, right? You have to typically make a bigger mess. You have to take things out of the messy garage before you can sort through it, before you can reorganize it. This is uh, cleaning your room deeply. This is cleaning out your junk drawer. Yeah, so today I've actually brought a junk drawer because my garage couldn't fit in the church. Um, so I brought my junk drawer to be our example. Uh, now, this is an unedited version of my junk drawer. This is an uncurated junk drawer. This is, I did not touch this until I lifted it out of the drawer, out of the cabinet this morning without my wife's knowledge, to which I received a text message at about 8.47. You do not have my permission <laughs> to take the junk drawer without me knowing, to which I said, but it's going to be a great illustration. Please just let me have this one. So anyways, uh, this is our junk drawer. And here's the thing about a junk drawer is I think we all, we all have them. And I think uh, some of us have multiple ones. I was told today already that somebody has a couple of them in their house. And um, it's all something that we both acknowledge and kind of try to hide. It's this weird thing. So if you decide it's time to do a deep clean on your junk drawer, not like a little tying, but like a deep spring cleaning, you have to begin to make the mess. So you have to begin to take things out 
of the junk drawer. And like this really, this is really to me is a, <clears throat> is a perfect example of both step four and step five because uh, it's, I'm going to turn this this way for the sake of space and your viewing pleasure. Um, it's, it's, it's taking ownership and acknowledging the junk that we have, uh, but it's also um, like confessing that you have them and taking ownership of it. So uh, let's see, we have, <laughs> I find this interesting. My wife's not going to be happy about this whole segment. Um, we, is we have two tubes of empty hair gel. Not one, two tubes of empty hair gel. It was like we got done with one. We use this for the boys' hair, for their mohawks. We got done with one, and then we thought, well, we need another one. So we bought another one to remind ourselves of the one that we, and then we just used it, and so we have two empty tubes. Here's a battery, in case you need to see a battery. This one's going to be hard to see, but this is a piece of... Um, black elastic for some reason. Oh, here's a note, a super important note. It says blueberries and bananas, votes. So <laughs> this is from, uh, Ella did made smoothies the other day and she wanted to know what everybody wanted. Which, did they prefer bananas or smoothies in their, um, uh, bananas or blueberries in their smoothies? And so she took votes from our family. Uh, there's, a, there's a big stack of um, baseball cards that are worthless and uh, and old and like rejects that my brother gave to my son. He gave three shoe boxes of um, baseball cards that have no monetary value uh, to, my <laughs> to my son, which is really exciting. So there's those that we really want to hold on to. Uh, let's see. I bought a record player just recently. It's a modern record player, but it looks vintage, so that's pretty cool. So if you need instructions on how to set up your record player, <laughs> it's in my junk drawer. Uh, and we could just really go on and on and on. Here's a lighter. Here's some lip gloss. I don't, you know. Here's a watch that doesn't really work that we don't really use, but we keep around just in case something happens. Hey, like why? Why do we have this stuff? We we have stuff that 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 we forgot we've had. We've, we have stuff that we don't know why we had it in the first place. We, oh. Here's two bags of little things that you can put on your earphones in case you decide they don't fit your ear properly. We got two bags of different sizes of, of those things. Like, <laughs> why are we holding on to this stuff? Now, so we, we go through this and, and, and we're not sure exactly why we have the things we do and we know it's like just the place where we keep our stuff in case we ever need it but we forget we ever need it. And so step four is, look, I'm acknowledging that this is all here and I'm sorting through and I'm looking at what I've done, the things in my life, the, 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 the good, the bad, the ugly. This is who I am. And then step five is going, yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't know why I still have these three batteries that I don't know if they actually work or not. Right? I, I, have to, I have to own and acknowledge that I don't know why. I, I know my anger is a struggle but I don't know why I keep holding on to it and keep clinging to it. And I have to, I have to be willing to, to own up to that, to fess up to that, to confess that this is something that I have to deal with, right? Uh, we have all these little things. So step five can be really difficult because I have to really say, oh, here's that time that I lost my wedding ring in the yard and I had to buy, so I bought two plastic wedding rings, like the plastic kind, but they don't fit. And so I... Instead of sending it back, I just put it in the drawer because it wasn't worth the $7 that I... You see what I'm saying? Like, we all have these weird things deep within our lives and in, in, in our beings that, that we may know why we have it. We may try to hide. We may try to ignore. 
And so step five is, is we've taken all this stuff out, we've done the inventory, and now we have to say, why do I have a half a roll of lifesavers here? <laughs> step five is, is very difficult because I have to own the reality of, of my junk drawer. I have to own the reality of my clutter. Right? I can throw the trash away, that's easy enough, but why do I have the empty battery pack? You see, if we don't deal with the things that we find in our life, the deep things, right? if we don't deal with the stuff that we actually have in our metaphorical junk drawer of our life, then what will happen is we've done the inventory, we've assessed it, and then we're going to put it all back and then nothing will have really ever changed. Nothing will ever change. It might be in a different order. It might be a little bit more tidy, but we haven't actually dealt with the junk. And so what's the name of our series? Our series is Nothing Changes If Nothing Changes. So if nothing changes, you've done the work, but you actually haven't done the full work, then you're going to be in the same boat that you were before. Right? You will not experience the results. And the truth is this whole thing, this whole 12 steps, it, it, it works if you work it. The fact that it's a thing proves that it works. When it comes to acknowledging sin, addiction of any kind, any kind of hurt, uh, you cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. You cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. You cannot, um, you cannot clean the drawer if you don't deal with the contents of what's in the drawer. Now, this is like, seems like very silly and maybe very obvious. This is a, a really practical practice that we do almost everywhere else in every other aspect of our life, but rarely for some reason do we apply it to the inner self. Right? You get a splinter, what do you do? You deal with the splinter, you pull it out immediately because if you don't, what will it do? It will fester and it will get infected and it will cause problems and it will cause hurt and it will cause pain. If you get some sort of abrasion on your skin, you skin your knee, you fall off your bike, whatever it is, what do you do? You clean and you sterilize the wound so it doesn't get infected, so it doesn't create pus. Why? So that it will heal. Right? Every time you come across something like this, you immediately want to get that thing out for the sake of Letting the healing begin. What happens if you eat too much junk food? What happens if for the past month you've been stuck at home and you've been eating too much junk food on the couch? You got to deal with it. You got to get that. If my kids eat too much junk food, it eventually comes out. Their body is forced to deal with it, right? So if you don't deal with that thing, it will cause more and more and more pain. Now remember, um, do you remember that movie? There's a movie with Tom Hanks called Castaway. Do you remember this movie? He got stuck on an island, really intense sort of movie with just one guy. It's fantastic. Uh, there's a one particular scene where he gets a toothache, and he's not able to deal with it because he's on a desert island. He's stranded, uh, and, he, and he can't do anything about it. So eventually it gets to the point where the pain is so bad that he's forced to deal with it. Do you guys remember this? You remember this? And I, it was this incredible scene. It's like hard to watch but kind of funny at the same time where he finds an ice skate and he takes the back end of an ice skate and puts it on his bad tooth and then takes a rock, you know, and he's like, he's cowering the whole time, not willing to do it, but the pain is so bad that he has to do it. And he, he hits that rock, he hits that ice skate with the rock and then he like passes out and falls over on the ground. Like he had to do it. The pain was so great. He couldn't allow that thing to continue to fester and rot in his mouth. He had to get it out. The pain was so great that he had to deal with it. You must deal with the things within. You must deal with the things within or they will destroy you. Right? This is what James is getting at in our passage today. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The Jerusalem Bible says it this way, which I thought was really interesting. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and this will cure you. And this will cure you. Right? This takes this meaning, uh, this whole thing, like beyond just it's good for the soul, confession is good for the soul. This takes us to the idea that, um, that, that, that this ailment or this sickness or the disease or something that I'm dealing with, um, this might be a result of something else. This might be a result of me not dealing with the junk that's within me. You see? that you may be healed. There's something going on here that this will cure you. There's something deeper here that's off. And by releasing this, by acknowledging this, by confessing this, there will be this healing. You must pluck the splinter. You must clean the wound. We'll talk a little bit more about the physicality of this in a minute. But right now, I just want you to connect with the idea and the thought that if we don't Deal, if we don't um, deal with what's in the junk drawer, if we don't own the junk, if we don't go through it, change, transformation, healing, true, full healing, it will be hard to come by. Right? You, you would think twice, uh, you, you would think since we've already uh, known this about other, other things, since we've already applied this to our lives and other aspects of our lives, it would make sense that we would apply the same thought to ourselves. We take out the splinter, but we don't clear out our personal junk drawer. We, we think we would apply this to the ego, to the self, to this deep stuff, but we don't. And, and, and we don't really look into the, the hard work. We don't want to do the hard work of sorting through all the junk. Why, why do you think it is that we don't look forward to sorting through all the junk? I'm sure that there are all kinds of reasons, reasons uh, that we could come up with if we were to make some sort of list, but I wonder if maybe the, the most obvious and simple reason is that it's, it can be a bit scary. It's scary to admit our junk. It's scary to say, yep, this is me. I'm holding on to a little baggie with light bulbs from Christmas lights and little fuses just in case I need it during the summer. I'm holding on to a little tiny, tiny thread of plumber's tape, you know, just in case. It's hard for me to acknowledge that I get jealous over certain things. It's hard for me to acknowledge that um, maybe the air of toughness that I present or this air of boldness is actually compensating for some sort of fear. It's hard for me to acknowledge that these things are in my drawer. It's scary because essentially what you're doing is, is you're laying yourself bare. You're saying, yeah, this is, this is, this is me. This is a part of who I am. I mean, it's not the entirety of who I am, but it's things that I've collected along the way. It's things, it's a part of who I am and who I have to deal with. Um, this is scary. It's scary to put yourself out there. This is why this part is so very hard. But I can tell you that I think another reason um, that, that we're not quick to do this, uh, and I think the reason maybe we struggle, especially Christians struggle in this area with confessing and with acknowledging what's actually going on with us is um, be, really because I think we have a misunderstanding of God. And, and I say this with love, and, and, um, and, and hopefully this will click and make a bit of sense, but I think if we just had a slightly different thought process about God, it would drastically affect all of our approach to all of this. Like, I think what we failed uh, to see and to understand is that it, it's only love that can affect deep and lasting transformation. 
No, I, I think we say it. I think we, I think we say, yes, we understand that God is love, but I think what we failed to live and to realize and to step into the reality of God being love. And so the reason we're afraid or, or we're timid to acknowledge the junk of our lives The reason we're afraid to acknowledge this is because we haven't fully processed that God is love. It's like we're waiting or we're trying to hide something because we're not sure how God might respond or we're afraid there might be some sort of consequence or punishment. So we want to put it in the drawer and we want to slide it into the cabinet so people can't see it. If we truly understood God is love, then we wouldn't be afraid to bring all of this to God time and time and time again. Yeah, I, yeah, it's here. Look, oh, I don't know why, God, I have a patch kit to an air mattress in my drawer, but it's there and I need, oh, here's some, um, some pamphlets about some insurance that we should probably look. Why do I have this stuff? Why, why am I holding on to this stuff? Um, if we truly understood God's love, then I don't think we would be afraid to bring our junk to God time and time and time again. As soon as you get the splinter, give it to God. It's like you don't wait for it to fester. You don't wait for it to get infected. Uh, I saw this the other day that I thought was absolutely fascinating and incredible. I want to share it with you. Uh, It's this. Uh, They said, God does not love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. God does not love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. Do you see how this thought should really change our approach to all of this? Transformation can only really come from a place of security, and it's the acknowledgement and the acceptance of love that you already have been given that will give you the freedom and the courage to move towards change. You know, you, you don't earn love You never earn love because love is free. If you feel like you must perform and behave in a certain way to get certain attentions from certain people in your life, whether we're talking about God, your relationship with God, we're talking about relationship with others, then the thing that you're receiving isn't necessarily love. We're actually given a really incredible example of this in the book of Ezekiel. the Old Testament, believe it or not, of all places. Ezekiel sets the stage for what you, you might even call like a restorative justice. It's understanding restorative justice that actually opens us up to understanding what you might call like a radical type of grace. Uh, so Ezekiel, uh, he, he's, he's a prophet of God, and, and what you see through the course of the story is that Israel um, keeps turning her back on God, right? They're this independent country, but they keep turning their back on God. They keep getting involved with other countries, keep worshiping false idols. In chapter 16 of Ezekiel, um, especially, you see, that uh, Israel is, is painted in this picture. She's given this description as, as, like a, a, as a young girl who has grown up into a beautiful woman and now is basically giving herself away. Like she, she's likened into a prostitute. And, and if that's not bad enough, it actually, he takes it a step further and he says, you know, if she was a prostitute, she would like just be taking money from guys to give, you know, give herself to them. But it actually takes a step further. It's, it's kind of brutal stuff. It says that she's now paying other people to come defile her. It's like this weird sort of thing that's, that's heavy and dark and wrong, and it's pretty rough. But I want you to see through this passage, um, there's this reoccurring theme in, 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 um, in Ezekiel chapter 20 that has to do with restoration. 
Um, and, it, and it occurs over and over and over again. This idea, it's almost like, it's almost like her punishment is restoration. It's a weird sort of thing. But let me show you this chapter 20, and you can see a bit of, a bit of this without reading a whole chapter. Uh, chapter 20, verse 39 through 44. As for you, people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Go and serve your idols, every one of you. That's weird, right? But afterwards, you will surely listen to me and no longer profane my holy name with your gifts and idols. For on my holy mountain, the high mountain of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord, there in the land of, of uh, all the people of Israel will serve me, and there I will accept them. There I will require your offerings and your choice gifts along with all your holy sacrifices. I will accept you as a fragrant incense when I bring you out from the nations and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will be proved holy through you in sight of the nations. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the land I had sworn with uplifted hand to give to your ancestors. There you will remember your conduct and all the actions by which you have defiled yourselves, and you will loathe yourselves for all the evil you have done. You will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake and not according to your evil ways and your corrupt practices. You people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, this is crazy to me. Here you have Israel doing all the wrong things. And then the way that God responds is not in how people normally think of God. This is not how I think people think of God. And this is why so many people, I believe, have wrong thoughts of God. Even though they sought after idols and turned their back on God, God still says in verse 41, I will accept you. God still says in verse 42, I will bring you back into the promised land. In verse 42, he says, I will uphold the covenant. He says, yes, you will experience, right, this, this um, you will experience the, the, the weight of what you've done. But also, I will deal with you as my namesake, as my name, as the name of God would require, not according to your evil and corrupt ways. Wait a second. Is that how God really works? It's almost like every time Israel tries to disqualify themselves from the blessings of God, God requalifies them. It's almost like the way God punishes them is by loving them even more. What was that verse? Can we go back to that verse real quick? Uh, like the second or third. Um, yeah, I know it's going to be difficult for the person. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you will remember your conduct and the actions by which you have defiled yourselves, and you will loathe yourselves for all you have done. So in the presence of this, you, right, like you're going to experience the hurt. You're going to be upset with yourself because of your actions. But go to the next verse. Please. Uh, I will deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your ways. So yes, you've done wrong. Yes, you've made a mess. Yes, you've, you've, you've filled up the junk drawer with a bunch of junk. But I'm not going to deal with you that way, the way that you think. I'm going to deal with you a different way. I'm not going to deal with you according to what you deserve. I'm going to deal with you with who I am, which is love. It's almost like God doesn't love us if we change. God loves us so that we can change. You see, it's in knowing that I am loved 
It's a knowing that I am loved despite my mess that gives me the courage and the confidence and the security to begin to sort through everything. This gives us the firm foundation through which we have the freedom to pursue deep transformation. It's because I know that my wife loves me, that she cares for me, that she loves me for who I am with all of my warts and my habits and my issues and my, it's because I know my wife loves and accepts me with all of my flaws that I can take my junk drawer out of the house without asking (laughs) and put it on display for the world to see, to use as an illustration for the junk that we keep in our lives and to know that because of the love she has for me, it's going to be okay. I can work through it. We can work through it. And, and I don't have a sense of fear or punishment or consequence for when I go home. You see, for many people in, in, in the church or when we think of God, there's this thought process, like this pattern, um, when we think about sin uh, and, and restoration. And it usually goes something like this. Um, normally, we think of, it, of the pattern like this. There's some sort of sin, which leads to some sort of consequence or punishment, uh, which then, because of the consequence or punishment, leads us to repenting, which then leads to some sort of behavior modification or transformation. So we go, yeah, that's the process. That's the pattern. We mess up. We get punished. We, you know, um, hopefully sometimes you, maybe you repent first. Before, I don't know. Sometimes we don't do it until we get caught and whatever. And then because of all that mess, then, then it, we will change. We will change how we live, how we think, how we do things. Um, that's like the normal way. But what we see in the story of Ezekiel, what Ezekiel shows us, and the way that grace and love actually work is, is probably more like this. Okay, you've sinned. Well, what that leads to, if you understand the story of Ezekiel, what we saw was uh, it leads to unconditional love. God said, I'm not going to deal with you the way you deserve. I'm going to deal with you a different way. I'm going I'm to give you the land of the promise. I'm going to honor the, the covenant that I've given to you. I'm going I'm to uphold this relationship because this love is unconditional. Because God's love is not based on if you change. God's love is given so you can change. So I send, there's this unconditional love that I experience which then leads to the transformation, which then leads to repentance, right? And what is repentance? Repentance is changing the ways. Repentance is uh, returning. It's coming back to how you were created. So when I experience the deeper unconditional love of God, the transformation then becomes that I change how I live. You see, there's a difference. In fact, uh, and just as a side note here, uh, if you look at these two patterns of thought, um, if you look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, go back to Romans 12, yeah. Paul says this interesting thing. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, we are, yes, that's great. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, when we read this, what we normally think, go back one slide, when we're talking about conforming to the patterns of the world and being transformed by the renewal of your mind, usually what we're thinking of and talking about is this first pattern, right? This, sin, consequence, repentance, behavior modification. Yes, do that, and then you will be transformed, and then you will think differently about how you should behave because you've experienced punishment, and then you will know that you shouldn't stick the fork in the outlet again, right? But what I would suggest is that what Paul is saying is that this is actually... The pattern of the world. 
Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is this thing that we've adopted as the transformation is not actually transformation. This thing is the actual transformation. Because what we need to be reminded of, probably on a daily basis, all the time, always, 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 is that whether you like it, agree with it or not, that no matter who you are and what you've done, is that God is love and God loves you. And that's what we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. So when Paul says, be trans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, I think this is the pattern of the world. And I think the renewal, being transformed by the renewal of your mind, is being reminded over and over and over again that you are loved by just being you. I think Mr. Rogers said that one time. You are loved because you are the child of God. God is loving you not if you change. God loves you so that you can change. Sometimes we just need to be reminded over and over and over again. God is love. God loves you. Yeah, but I got this junk drawer. Yeah, but God still loves you. And now that you know God loves you, it actually allows you to go, here's all my stuff. Let me sort through it and know that I'm not doing it out of a sense of fear. I'm not doing it out of a sense of consequence. I'm not doing it as a sense of get your drawer in shape or else. I'm doing it because I trust that God loves me and wants the best for me. And so now I can go through this stuff with a sense of confidence. A couple, couple more thoughts real quick and then we'll get back to the step uh, and about the verse. So step five, admit to God, admit it to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Um, we've taken this moral inventory, we've assessed things, we're, we're having to look at our junk, we're having to look at our mess, we're having to, to, to look at what we've accumulated over the years, the hurt, the pain we've experienced, the hurt, the pain that we've caused other people, which we'll deal with later, that even gets harder. Um, now we have to own and confess this, this is what I've done. Now if you look at that statement, there's three, three components to it, to God, ourselves, and another human being. Why is that important? It's not just this like, flippant, oh, I'm sorry, I've made a mess, I've done this thing. It's, it's a specific thing. And when you look at these things, these three things, I think these things are very important because these three things are the areas that for us are what make us complete. This is what we talk about here at the Foundry quite a bit, about understanding God's intended reality, about life to the fullest. And what you see in this is a relationship to God, a relationship to yourself, and a relationship to other human beings. Now, this isn't fully the, uh, at the amending stage yet, but this is acknowledging to somebody else. So, I have this, I, I confess to God, this is the stuff that I'm dealing with, this is the stuff in my life, this is what, I, I do that because I need to stand before the divine and acknowledge this is what's in my drawer. I, I, and what I'm looking for is a wholeness in that relationship. And so I have to confess that I've been hiding things. And, and I, I know you gave me this drawer and you didn't give me this drawer to fill it with a bunch of junk, but I put a bunch of junk in it and here it is. So let me get this out in the open so that we can begin to work through it so that I can restore that relationship with God. Right? It, it's about acknowledging to the self uh, that, so that I can experience completeness in the relationship with myself. Seth, this is your life. It might not be exactly who you want it to be right now and it's not the entirety of your being but this is where you're at you have to look at yourself in the mirror and go I, I've I've created the mess I have to take responsibility for what I've done this is where I'm at 
You, you have to confess to one other individual. Uh, and and this, is, this is a biblical concept, a biblical idea. Um, but the idea is that you start with one person that you're openly communicating with to say, look, I screwed up, which is hard. Sometimes it's easier to think than it is to say. But to say it, there's something there. There's something healing there. And so you find one person that you can do this with, that you trust that has your best interest in mind, that you can then eventually move into the healing of relationships with other people, with more people, with all the people around you. So I have to start by being open and honest with who I am with one other person, trusting that they are going to show me grace and love in this moment of vulnerability, of acknowledging the mess that I've created. This is who I am. This is what I've done. This is my drawer. And I need you to help keep me accountable so that I don't end up with packages of dust that you throw in a fire that changes color. <laughs> That's a thing in my drawer, by the way. The kids love this. It's fantastic. Uh, if you look, if what I'm looking for in all this is complete freedom, is complete healing, complete transformation, then I have to fess up to my wrongdoings in each of these relationships to God, to the self, to another individual. And this can be a very, very hard thing to do. But when you do the hard work, as, as the programs say, it works if you work it. When you do the hard work, you will set yourself up to experience some really incredible results in the freedom that you're ultimately looking for. Now, there's one other thing um, th that I want to talk about, and that is this idea they talk about confession is good for the soul, right? Oh, I did this thing. I confess. I've gotten this. And maybe you've experienced this. You've done something wrong. You've confessed, and now you feel free. You feel light. Your soul feels airy. But did you know that also, like, it's also good for the body, I think. If you go back to that verse, verse uh, chapter 5, verse 16 in the Jerusalem Bible, so confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and this will cure you. Now, we've talked about this a little bit before, but this idea that, that energy affects matter. Your body processes various forms of energy. So if you are continually exposing yourself to a negative toxic surrounding, to a negative or toxic person, your body will process that, and it will somehow uh, manifest itself within your being, right? So... Um, this idea of guilt or shame, unconfessed junk that you're carrying around with you, the sin that you carry around with you, this can have the same effect. When you bottle this up, when you keep this to yourself, when you hide it from God, it will have an effect on you. There's been a bunch of research that, that have actually shown uh, th that guilt can affect your immune system, right? That's how deep, deeply this stuff is connected, that if you are overwhelmed with guilt, it can uh, uh, weaken your body's ability to fight off other infections. That's how deep and significant this stuff is. Guilt has even been connected to things like ulcers and heart disease and depression. Yeah, this is a big deal. This isn't just, oh, I feel better because I said these things. This is, no, there's something connected to the physicality and the spirituality of your being that says if you continue to keep all the junk in the drawer, it will eventually cause a problem. Like your drawer will fall out or something, I don't know. Now, let me show you what David says in Psalms 32, because this is great and ties into exactly this thing. He says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, 
I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David said, when I kept all this stuff in, when I was silent about what I had done, about what I had, about my transgressions, I could feel it, and it was aching within my bones. Something was off. It was having this effect on my physical being. But when I confessed, when I brought it into the light, when I acknowledged this, there was forgiveness. You see, guilt burdens the soul and eventually it affects the physical body. Now, I'm not saying, obviously, all sickness and illness has anything to do with sin. It's not what we're saying here, obviously. But I do believe that if we bottle things up, if we hide them, if we keep them compressed, if we... I believe it will affect not only your soul, but also your physical well-being. James 5.16, so confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and this will cure you. Normally, we think of it just as the, as the spiritual side, but maybe there's a, a physical component to it as well. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Will you do this? Will you take time this week to do the hard work of being fully open and honest with God? Will you do the hard work of being fully open and honest with yourself? Will you do the hard work of being fully open and honest with at least one other person about what you've been dealing with? And if you don't have somebody, will you take the time this week to pray and ask God to send somebody your way? Ask God to reveal somebody in your life or find somebody that you know you could trust that you can begin to have this conversation with. Because until we're willing to acknowledge and confess what we've put in our junk drawer, there will be no healing. It will all just be the same. And like we said, nothing changes if nothing changes. Will you say this prayer with me? God, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Let's say that again. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. My hope and my prayer for you is that you will have the courage and the bravery to do the work because it works if you work it. My prayer for you is that you will be bold enough to take that which is hidden and bring it forth into the light that you may be healed. My prayer for you is that you will not conform to the patterns of this world, but you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will know deep within your being that you are loved because God is love. My prayer for you is that God will be working in you to create a better you and that God will be working through you to create a better world. God bless and we'll see you next week.